This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, my friends, and welcome to That's Bangin', a podcast celebrating everything great from farm to plate, ship to service, and field to fork. A true celebration of everything tasty, fresh, and excellent that's coming off our little island at the moment. Including interviews with people who love food and people who are influencing what we eat on this great little island. That's Bangin' with Chris and Marcus. And thank you to our sponsors, Tato. Tato are Ireland's number one crisp and snacks brand, and they are back with the launch of two limited edition flavors. This time, the new flavors are inspired by New York deli sandwiches. For when that classic ham and cheese sambo just won't hit the spot. Tato beef brisket and Tato Philly cheesesteak are available for a limited time only. So get out to the shops and grab yourself a mouth-watering packet of one of these new flavors from Tato. And once again, thanks to Tato for sponsoring. That's banging. Marcus, hello. How are we? Oh, Chris, I'm good, man. I'm good. It's raining today. The sun <laughs> that we've been raving about for the last couple of weeks has disappeared yeah, the- and everything is just grey again. But that means one thing. It means comfort food. Yeah, that- the cold is kind of set. The cold set back in and then the weather came as well. Now you have the wetness. So I had a great weekend walking around, lots of nice sunshine. And now all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, we're just, it's rainy, it's wet, it's just nasty. But, you know, what always cheers us up? A bit of good food, as you said. And, you know, this is where we like to talk about what we have eaten this week. And I, I want to take it away first because there's something that I got really excited about this week. And it's a collaboration. Uh, it's called the Filthy Trio. And it's Wingman out in Kilbarrick. It's a huge field truck on the grounds of Nave Brog at GA Club. So I was first planted this by Ian Usher uh, from Cluck Chicken, who's actually... Uh, a greenhouse alumni, and he said he trained with Owen Lennon from Wingman, so I should check it out. And this week happened to be perfect timing because they've just launched a collaboration with Michael's Mount Merion, and we love gas, yeah. and uh, Higgins Butchers as well, which is absolutely amazing. And uh, it's it's possibly one of the best burgers you know I've ever tasted I, like, in my life. I, I've seen this because I'm, I'm working on the perfect burger myself at the mm. moment, and I've been like pouring over like burger content constantly. And I saw this pop up, and like gas is like he, that man loves filthy food like yeah. love he makes a very good like filthy in the best way he he under, he has filthy down to a science and then Higgins meat fucking amazing yeah well really, what Gaz like, does is uh, what comes from Michael's is the beef butter and bone marrow glaze for the patties itself which is like the flavours it just gives is just insane it's so good and uh, then obviously it's like three Galloway patties uh, builded Galloway beef patties from Higgins and then it's served LA smash style which are all your good stuff your ketchup <laughs> and your mustard and your pickles and it's just unreal so like shout out to Wingman uh, really really good and one thing actually I wanted to ask you about one thing I got there when, when I was there as well was uh, I got a Whirly Burger but it was a chicken burger a whirly chicken burger. Whirly Burger yeah now, I don't know how the Whirly Gods would feel about that there's now. like you know traditionally a Whirly Burger is beef I would have thought and uh, but this now don't be wrong it was epic it was like beer battered in Hope Beer which is a great brewery out, out where, where they're from uh, in Kilbarrick mm-hmm. and uh, it was delicious but I actually was shocked that, like, when I put up a poll on Instagram, then going beef or chicken, a lot of people said a whirly burger is chicken as well. well do you know what? No, because that's just a chicken burger. Like, it's, <laughs> no, I'm saying, like a battered chicken burger. Yeah, a battered. battered chicken burger is literally just a chicken burger. Like, it's like no, like that. That's what it is. Yeah. Like, well, well, it wasn't quite breaded. It was more of a like you know a thick batter, like you would. A, yeah, it's a it's a batter. It's always mm. a dunked batter yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah, to like yeah. a breadcrumb or a panko. Mm. A whirly burger in my head is always a kind of like a almost like. A kind of a you know that kind of Granby burger, yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know it's kind of makes made of lips and assholes. You get it in like, a chipper, and it's like you know, like, it's... yeah, and but it's battered, and depending on the chipper, it might have an egg on top. Ooh, interesting. That's the that was the a whirly, whirly, burger a whirly my, madame. That is, yeah. <laughs> 
that is that is the uh, the the worldly burger of my youth, my misspent youth. Well, that's, um, it's a controversial topic, but have you anything controversial you've eaten this week? No, not really. I've kind of taken it pretty easy. Um, I've been cooking quite a bit. Oh, nice. uh, I we've been trialing a lot of stuff in the Sambo Ambo, including burgers and everything like that. Yeah. So that's why I've been. Looking at stuff, I had Euros for the first time. Oh yeah, Euros who are up in uh, at Crossguns Bridge there. Yeah, just the Fisbury in Fisbury, and I tell you, um, I was not expecting much. Yeah, and it over delivered so hard. Yeah, they put chips it, on the kebab. It was, it was, it was, yeah, that kind of uh, something I always called a gyro, but apparently it's called a Euros. Yeah. <laughs> um, just. Me and my my accented insensitivity. But the gyro was like the social welfare, wasn't the it? Gyro was just, yeah, waiting for the gyro was. <laughs> I think that was in one of those like you know books that had just like Adrian Moffat and the ten lads who want to kick him in the head. Yeah, kind it's of. funny. It's funny what the, the names of the social welfare is given. Like the UB forty was the the check in England. That that's where that name came from. Did but you know a, a gyro is actually a type of bank transfer. Yeah, I know, but the, I, well, I obviously yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, listen. Anyway, the UB forty. UB forty. Yeah. So UB in England, the the check you used to get or the social welfare payment was called the UB forty, ah. and that's where they got their name from. Maybe ah. this is. Wrong. I should double check this. I don't know. Okay, maybe we will fact check that or one later. Maybe uh, they were making so many bank transfers that the British <laughs> the British government were just like, oh, these lads. And it's funny that you lads. you brought up Euros because just around the corner was a place I visited. Yeah, well, it was back in Eat Yard. I love Eat Yard. Always down there, and uh, we met my beloved Janet, who was like the nicest lady ever. And she's Janet just doing, she's doing banging bells, amazing rice balls, all that kind of thing. And she's just the nicest person. Shout out to Janet. Shout out to Janet. The world needs more Janets. It doesn't, the world doesn't need more Janets. But I was in there for um, to check out the new vendor. Um, I hope I say this correct now. Maybe you can correct me. Is it Oreal or Oreal? Orale. 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 Yeah, well, it's Mexican. And you said it with a Spanish voice. So, yeah, it sounds good. Um, um, orale. Um, but uh, the Mexican street food, uh, they're used, so it's Mexican street food, tacos, quesadillas, but they're using international ingredients. And I was actually blown away. It was really, really good. One of the tacos I got was. Uh, uh, massive fried chicken and it was just this whopper big huge piece of chicken proper crunchy but then with like your pickled cabbage um, some citrus onions guac sour cream just really really good and there was a mixture and it was like aubergine tacos and uh, uh, maybe a cream pork one as well would I be correct in saying they did a pop up somewhere near Smithfield they were in Bonobo, Bonobo uh, there yeah. before Christmas they were in Bonobo before Christmas and then um, when La Cucina left um when Lecatina left the yard, seemingly they gave him the heads up, and because they wanted, you know, to keep the taco family uh, okay. in business. Okay, right. So, yeah, so very well, impressed. Do you know? I know a lot of people who uh, who were hyped about Orale when it was in uh, when it was in Bonobo. So, if you're listening to this and you have a craving for tacos, either go to Lecatina uh, Cuevos. Oh, yeah. or or Orale. Yeah, because yeah. Lecatina Cuevos, the the birria, which was in Eat Yard, has now moved over to uh, it's called Ted's Gaff. And it's um, in Rakar now, where they have Ted's Gap and Frank's Wine are also doing food out there as well. I think it's Tree of Feet Coffee as well. So it's another cool little uh, kind of eat yard kind of style. Nice. Maybe vendor. we'll check that out together and talk Maybe about we it next will. week. Maybe we will. Marcus, I'm very excited about this week's guest. Not only was he named Irish Young Chef of the Year in 2013, but he went on to be named San Pellegrino World Young Chef of the Year in 2015. A man that has travelled the world cooking and has been listed on the Forbes magazine 30 Under 30 for Innovation in the Arts. You might know his face from hit TV shows Beyond the Menu and Cook In on RTE. And he does this all while managing to hold down a job in Dawson Street's two Michelin star restaurant, The Greenhouse. Mark Moriarty, thanks for taking the time of your business well to join us on That's Banging. <laughs> Thank you very much. I like that. Uh, delighted to be here and adventure into town today. It was the uh, the first time I've been in here since Christmas Eve. You're good joking. to get out of the house. Oh, man. Well, it's good to have you, dude. How are you doing? Uh, we, were just, we were just having a little chat before, before sitting down that you went from being insanely busy at Christmas to suddenly... The darkness of January and kind of the slightly less darkness of February. How are you doing? How are you holding up? Yeah, good. Uh, driving in, yeah, the same route I would do to come into the greenhouse. Nearly missed the turn to turn right for this. 
Um, it was crazy. Christmas was crazy. We were, what, three and a half weeks open. Uh, and then Christmas Eve, it was all shut down and we were getting used to the opening and closing. And yeah, I've been back since. Haven't come into town, but been good. January was January was a little bit dark. Um, sitting in the house, uh, nothing open, running out of uh, inspiration to put mm. things on Instagram. But then uh, it started to pick up in February and we're busy again now. So all good. Yeah, so you're busy. You're talking TV now. Well, what's going on in the world of uh, media with Mark Moriarty? <laughs> so we have... Um, so beyond the menu, we did the reset there before Christmas, which was, I suppose, with restaurants closed and just reopening, it was a nice time to do it. So that was supposed to be season two, but we did a two-episode special. So now we're planning season three, which is going to be six new chefs. We're going to film it this summer. Um, it's going out in the autumn on RT1. Mm. And again, it's hopefully going to be, well, I think it is going to be leaving behind all this COVID and closure. We're hopefully going to have the restaurants reopen to film in, and it's going to be kind of, okay, we're back Let's showcase. Um, and then as well as that, we're now in the middle of filming Cooking, which is a studio series. Um, just again, people are at home, home cooking. So there's the appetite again for a little bit of inspiration. I think people are all running out. That's a, you know, there, there is, as you said, like a, a hell of a lot of kind of new home cooks and people who are dying for inspiration. I suppose somebody like yourself who's coming from that, like very technique driven, fine dining background. Like for anyone who hasn't eaten in the greenhouse, I think unanimously a lot of people just have just said it's the best place to eat in in the country and like you're a massive part of that it's uh how do you how do you find kind of going back to the home cooking style (laughs) it's funny um so we have we have the same team that do both shows out in appetite and mark boland is the director of both and we get on like a house on fire but mark is funny because he does all this food tv but he hates fancy food he doesn't like or feel comfortable in restaurants and he has no interest in cooking at home. <laughs> so okay. actually we were filming the other day and we were doing these little crispy potatoes for I think it's episode three of cooking. Mm. And I was doing like the comfy potatoes. So you slice them really thinly, loads of uh, clarified butter, salt, a little bit of corn flour. And then we were layering it up in a bread tin, cooking it for three or four hours at a low temperature, pressing it overnight. And then we were cutting them and deep frying them. So they're like, Insane, yeah. Hash are they brown kind of like chips. the uh, almost like the millionaire fries that yeah. used to be in Bear. Yes, they yeah, are. Yeah, exactly, that's, I was that's just a, about to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you eat three. That's exactly where it came from. So I'm on. We're filming or whatever. And it takes like two hours to do this this six minute recipe, and it comes to slicing them. So I then go back into my like if we're inside in Dawson Street and mm. I'm getting the measuring tape out and they have to be exactly this by this. <laughs> and he goes, whoa, 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 stop! What are you doing? And I'm like, what? I'm making them look sharp. And he goes, no. John and Mary in Longford <laughs> do not want to see you cutting them into perfect squares. Just make them look like chips and get them in the fryer. And that's the, they're the sort of things. Yeah. So we're taking the technique and we're, we're trying to do like the seasoning and how people at home can add a little bit more flair to what they're already doing. But stopping short of those, yeah, yeah so, chefy little things. Yeah, I've seen it's great uh, for cooking. I was just looking there. Uh, you had up on Instagram, you're saying the last episode... Um, you were looking at doing like a ribeye steak and stuff like that. So a lot of people can't cook a steak at home, you know. So yeah. that, that I suppose it's great for the, all these new chefs at home that uh, haven't really got any, you know, training. And now all of a sudden, like, you know, they're able to just look at something that's really simple. But for someone that has really good experience and technical experience, kind of not dumbing it down, but like, you know, making it so it's really accessible for people at home. And it's hard to come up with that. Like the one thing I do is I put together a, a little list of questions when I'm coming up with the recipes and send them out to just a wide group of my friends. Of who are of different levels of interest in food, who go to restaurants, who don't, and go, okay, what would you like to see? And you'll see like the same things start to appear, and mm. that's the building blocks of the episode. So mm. you're actually mm. 
cooking for what people want as opposed to what I would want to do. Um, and I think, look, the restaurants have been closed for the last year, but the absolute interest in food and local producers mm. and the food truck revolution, I'm calling yeah. it now, yeah. is going to be one of the big positives to come out of this, that people probably understand food a bit more, appreciate the work that goes into it, and definitely are going to have a new appreciation for restaurants since they've been closed. People have really realized what a big part of their lives they are. 100%. Because, you know, people don't go to restaurants necessarily for sustenance. Like, it's, it's people go really, it's, it's a vital social thing, you know? And it's something I, I was actually talking about uh, with my girlfriend there. And, like, you know, we got together during the pandemic. And, like, pandemic relationships, you just have to kind of sit with each other and talk. <laughs> and, yeah, I know, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> Genuinely, like, it's, like, and it, it's, it's, it's tricky because you can't do things like, like, I'm a restaurant person. I love, like, before this, I was going to restaurants, like, four or five nights a week. And you can't do that. You like you can like you don't have that common ground of talking about what's on your plate or the wine you're drinking or the service or you know the, like the nasty fart you smelt on the way <laughs> walking by table seven. Like you do, you don't have like all that kind of common stuff to talk about. That that re- restaurants are so much more than just a place to eat. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's a a big that, learning for chefs as yeah. well because they're so we were so focused. Oh, I'm the same for years on it's about the food and it's about. How can it be looking better and how will it photograph and how will it eat? But you forget, like, and I remember actually Claire Smith, when Mm. we did San Pellegrino years ago, she said, one of the big things chefs forget is that food is literally like about one fifth of the package. And you can be the best of the best at the food. But unless you're going to have an interest and be able to drive the other four, Mm. then the experience isn't going to be complete and you're not going to get to where you want to go. And yeah. I always remember that as a, oh, okay. That's you know, an interesting it, one. It's something that um, I've recently watched Boil- Boiling Point, obviously Claire Smith, Gordon Ramsay, alumni mm. um, or alumnus for all my, all my Latin scholars out there. <laughs> um, you know, it's that when Gordon was going for his third star, Marco Pierre White said that he's gone from being a two-star head chef to a chef patron and now he has to take interest in everything. He has to take interest in the squeaky wheel on the cheese trolley, the texture of the uh, the linens on the table, how fresh the flowers are, the type of cutlery used, every crease in a in a, in a waiter's shirt. Like, it is that. It's that level of the experience. Yeah. That really does come down to it. And like, it's true, I've eaten in like, you know, restaurants that the food has been perfect but it has been ruined by, by something stupid. Yeah. And you can get away a little bit with the food if everything else is on point because if you're just having a great time, yeah, psychologically, you're willing to let a lot more go. On you're in the, a good place. It's like eating the food and if you're the first table in at six o'clock and there's no one else. Mm. Obviously, then what's on the plate becomes you're looking at it a lot more surgically. Because there's no atmosphere. Whereas if you're in there at half eight and you sit down and the place is buzzing, you're not as inclined to be looking at all the details on the plate. Mm. Because the measuring tape doesn't come out. No, it doesn't come out because <laughs> yeah. you're just you're immediately coming into a party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. aside from measuring tapes and surgical <laughs> precision, how did how did the cooking start for you? Did did you did you start kind of from family or did you just kind of decide? Did you study food in college or what's your what's your background? Um, my mother was a great cook. Um, especially in hindsight, um, she well actually all my family are, me- are in mental health, so. Okay. My mum was um, CEO in John of God Services. My father was a clinical psychologist. My sister has since gone into mental health nursing and then on into general nursing. So we grew up in a house where, I suppose in the 90s, it was the work talk, which was all about mental health, which in the 90s wasn't 
really like that. It wasn't what it is now, mm. where it's mm. such a big topic. So we got an appreciation for, I suppose, um, balance in life, all these things, without without even knowing it. But the big thing was we would always sit down for dinner. So parents were extremely busy. We were in. Uh, school or whatever, we had our minder across the road, Francis, where we would go until six o'clock. She was like another mother. Um, but dinner time was when we sat down and now there were no phones or anything, but mm. it would have been that time where phones away, let's have a conversation around food and there was effort put into it. And then we'd go off to bed or whatever and then the parents would actually go back down to, to work at nine o'clock. Um, wow, okay. So we grew up in this... this um, this house where it was all, it was food focused, but it was also hard work. Um, and then the summer holidays used to spend where my father's from in Ventry down in West Kerry. Oh yeah. Oh, which gorgeous. is yeah, yeah. very idyllic. Um, and I still spend as much time as possible down there. But uh, we, we've always had a fishing boat. So my big thing as a kid was I used to love fishing. And we used to have lobster pots and nets and hand lines and things like that. And I used to get up in the morning and watch all the fishing shows. And I think it was home, home Discovery Home and Leisure back in the day. <laughs> wow, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool kid. And then um, what I used to do was, yeah, in the summer, we just start all this fishing and I used to have lobsters, crabs, we'd have turbot, sole, Amazing. John Dory, mackerel, pollock. And I mean, the seas around there are just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. really just, like just so ridiculously abundant. Yeah. 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 And a beautiful wild place. And you get an appreciation for the outdoors and all that. Uh, I still have photos as well at home of you're like six or seven with these massive pollock <laughs> and cod. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think my f- in first class in primary school, we had to bring a photo of our pet in. I brought in a photo of me with a big lobster. And, uh, <laughs> Larry. Uh, so that was, so then like, I just got into to, to fishing and then the natural progression is to learn how to cook it. Um, mm. And without knowing it, you're getting an appreciation for what's good and what's bad. And you, all of a sudden you're able to go into Super Queen and you're able to say, well, that's not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it went from Discovery Home Leisure to Discovery Food, uh, which is yeah. the program. And then YouTube came on the scene and I was able to look up things like Boiling Point and all that. Hugh Fernie Whittingstall was one of my go-tos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Loved Over it, college. loved it. The first series as well when he went around before he even had the cottage in the camper van. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought, this guy is mesmerizing. That, he's he's uh, he incredible. Really incredible. He, yeah. I, yeah. I, I missed out. I know he was here for Taste of Dublin was, two yeah. years ago. I missed him. Yeah, um, I, was, I did a bit of work with him at that. And like, it was this kind of... Like, I didn't realize, because same kind of story as yourself. Like, I remember seeing him on TV constantly growing up. And it didn't really hit me as well, because obviously, you know, he's not this, he's a big celebrity chef, but like, you know, he's not super, he's not like a Jamie Oliver. For, no. Like, yeah. and my head just kind of, for whatever reason, just when I actually met him, like, I got a little bit starstruck. Yeah. In this very humble and lovely way. Like, he's done so, the amount of chefs that have come out of his legacy. Yeah. Are, is insane. And right? he's not there in the chef whites. He's not the front and center, but like, as I get older more experienced cooking I appreciate even more and more the quality of what he was doing way yeah. before his time mm-hmm. um, and that was so then I, he was my kind of inspiration then uh, I used to start growing stuff in fish boxes out the back garden in Kerry so you started to have carrots and all this a, str- a kind of unusual interest I suppose at the time um, and then I decided uh, when I was in secondary school, I was doing home ec and I was lucky that my home ec teacher had been a chef in a previous life okay. and had seen the interest I had. And you, you then it comes to transition year mm. and you have to do your work experience. So I said, I want to see professional kitchens, um, which was the most amazing thing ever at the time. Most people yeah. are like, I went to my dad's <laughs> office and I sat, I sat and I ate a lot of biscuits and I drank a lot of tea and you, you absolute mentaler, you were like, yeah, yeah. just throw me in a kitchen at what, 14, 15? 15. So 15. I sat down and I never forget it was a table like this. I know we're talking but there's a big wide table here and it was at home and I had 
the A4 page by 10 and I wrote the same letter. Da, 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 da. Um, I'm Mark. I want to be a chef. I'm sure they all see it now or whatever. And uh, I sent it to what I considered at the time to be the best restaurants in Ireland. So I remember sending them to since Nev Maguire, of course, uh, Kevin Thornton, Derry Clark, Dylan McGrath from Mint, who never got back to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Patrick Gibos, um And off they went. And I got, I never, I've to this day never been as excited as two days later, this yellow envelope came through the door with the golden boss writing uh, on top uh, with the T for Thornton's. Oh. And it was from Kevin. And he said uh, he had got my letter and he would uh, love to have me in to do a week. And then another one came from Nevin and another one came from Derry. So I spent six weeks, January, February of, it would have been 2007. And I spent two weeks in all those kitchens. And it was the most flower arranged version of professional cooking because I got <laughs> I was given a jacket <laughs> I sat on the pass and they gave me food and I thought wow this, this is, is a job for me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd say that must have been like getting a letter from Hogwarts like especially oh, like incredible. yeah like this gold embossed thing like that's amazing I still have it really yeah and uh, and that was and Graham Neville who I've become great friends with since and have gone on trips with and stuff uh, he was running the kitchen at the time. He can't remember me being in, and uh, it was just it was just to see the the, the polished coppers and the. It was mm. like going to Hogwarts yeah. as a yeah. as a young kid who wanted Absolutely. to be a chef. Yeah, that's incredible. Like, and you like like you said, the best restaurants. Well, they were the best restaurants in the country at the time, and for you to experience each of them in their own way. But like, what, did you what, did you have to do much at all? Or was it like literally just having the crack and just like being? What what was your work experience entail? Uh, Torrance was the first one. I was so nervous. Um, I went in on the Lewis. I was wearing like full suit. Uh, which I got like absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> clueless and uh, and Kevin Kevin wasn't in so Graham Neville kind of looked at me and said what the and he, <laughs> said, he said come here and he called one of the lads over he got, a, got a, a chef jacket and I put on a chef jacket for the first time and I was like I am Gordon Ramsay <laughs> and I came around and I was wearing my school shoes my school pants and uh put me on the the meat it was very quiet at the time I think mm. they picked January because it would be quiet and there was a guy called Rowan there who in hindsight was a big party animal <laughs> and was like oh for god's sake I'm going to have to deal with this kid now for the full can week. you imagine being like <laughs> hungover because like, it was Thornton Thorn was Thornton's two star at the time like it was it was one at the time yeah, yeah but it yeah. was firing yeah it was like it was that was an incredible can you imagine being like that level of being hung over and then somebody goes, listen, dude. Here's a 15-year-old. Here's a 15-year-old in a school uniform. He's wearing, he's wearing a little suit. Oh, I can't Thank actually. I can't imagine it. Do you know what? That was definitely, that was definitely Graham going, Rowan, you fucked up too many times and this is your punishment. I think it very much was uh, and it was chopping, I just chopped chives all day and they were like, all went in the bin and he was like, listen, just keep chopping you'll get good eventually. <laughs> and uh, your knife skills are amazing yeah. now. And uh, I'll never forget I never forget that about 11 o'clock Kevin came in and Kevin was the thing at the time because you'd seen the website and on the website he had this big photo when you went onto the homepage of him in that window that used to be there mm. and he had, he was doing his dry ice thing and he just he looked like he looked like Dumbledore in Hogwarts <laughs> <laughs> behind the thing and he came in and that was as starstruck as I've ever been mm. And he did the hi, Kevin. Nice to meet you. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> um, and in fairness, as the week went on, got me doing more and more stuff, got me seeing it, got me actually cooking stuff in service. And I remember Graham Neville on the last day was like, would you like to cook a dish? And they had a place set. 
And just like those little details which like inspired me, um, but it was very little effort to them. And I, like we get, we've had kids in and I, I see like kids coming through all the time and mm. you do look after them because look, we it's a hard enough industry to get people into. Mm. And it was those sort of things where I just was made to feel like a, a king that kept me going into it. And it obviously gets harder from there, but yeah. it was the, the spark at the start. And it went full circle because you went on, uh, you trained in DIT and then you went on to work in Tortons. Yeah, well, I, I actually got a summer job then working in Dingle in the chart house, which was then the re- reality where I was mm. crying in the fridge every day for three months. <laughs> right. Um, busy little spot, Bib Gourmand. I think it's the longest Bib Gourmand restaurant. Okay, right. 23 years straight. And we used to do, like you'd have like 20 bookings and then at six o'clock there'd be 60 people sitting down looking at menus, that sort of stuff. Like you all hit at once. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah, three right. people yeah. in the kitchen uh, I, the first summer I did it I was given pastry where you'd do a little bit of pot washing you'd do the desserts you'd plate the desserts and you'd help out with the garnish section or whatever uh, and in fairness Jim McCarthy down there the owner gave me I had like I had no experience and he put me in there and then the second summer I was on the hot starters and to this day well it was a starter section 11 different starters it was the hardest work I've ever done because I was learning on the job it was busy there was no patience there was no time it had to happen and it was you just you learn very very quickly and it was hard but stood to me and then I went on yeah did Colbrew Street did a culinary arts degree um, and while I was in culinary arts it's a four year course absolutely loved college um, mm-hmm. people go on about college I loved having college yeah. experience um, I would work then three days a week for the first two years in Thorntons I did two years there and then when the greenhouse opened I moved over to to there and got the degree uh, and absolutely loved it to well, have so that you, balance you were still in college working in Thorntons and then moved to the greenhouse while you were also still doing culinary arts yeah so you see Tuesdays in Thorntons oh prep God, day oh, yeah, yeah. and then uh, college Monday Wednesday Thursday Friday and then I go in after college yeah. in Friday afternoon to Thorntons do Friday night Saturday and then yeah in the greenhouse it was a little more rock and roll it was I used to go in at like five o'clock. My poor father used to drop me in at five o'clock on a Tuesday morning and I'd set up for lunch and then I'd go to Spanish class in college. <laughs> so studying the culinary arts. <laughs> Which I failed and uh, would come back then for dinner service and then work through the week like that. But you kind of, you have to, if you want to be ahead, you have to do it. You have to work hard. But and you, yeah, I, th- I think that's really something that, uh, what, what you were saying there about kind of being thrown in a hot starter section and having to learn on the job. That's, um, I think, Chris, you'll probably agree with this, that in any kind of industry, especially something like chefing, you don't learn by just staying stagnant and doing something easy. You, you learn by going so massively out of your comfort zone and getting occasionally roared at, occasionally get the head, o- head off you. Because then the one day that you have a flawless service and everything goes well and you, you get that little pat on the back and get handed a beer at the end, <laughs> there is no better feeling in the entire world. Yeah, and it obviously uh-huh. stood for you as well because then you went on to do these competitions at a young age and you went on to be Irish Young Chef of the Year and then World Young Chef of the Year. Tell us a little bit about that because that's insane. That's massive, yeah. Yeah, um, well, when we went into the greenhouse, it was a new opening. It was um, April 2012 and it was the, at the time it had opened, there was, I suppose, nothing really since Mint had got as much flair and obviously working with Mick uh, Villian, the head chef, who is... Still mad to this day, but was very, very mad back then. Um, <laughs> Marcus is laughing here at me. Um, it was a competitive place because it was setting down a marker and it was busy because the PR was coming in, lunch and dinner was full. It was it was 6 a.m. starts till 2 a.m. the next morning. Mm. Um, and it was very much about we just have to be 
better every day. We have to be the best restaurant. We have to win this. We have to progress. Um, that was the culture in there, and I, I loved that. And then I suppose my part of that was personally, not only was I learning, but I was like, okay, well, how can I do something to contribute? And then the Eurotalks Young Chef is run every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great competition. It's over 30. It's I think this year is the 30th year, 30th year, and it's been big contributing factor to how, how the industry has come on. So I entered that in 2012. Um, and it's a long process. It's three months. It's hard, particularly when you're then working as well to get everything done in, in your spare time. Um, and I ended up, I came second. Or I was beaten in the final in chapter one um, that year. And I had just given, I had emptied the tank. I mean, like you're there till two o'clock on a Saturday in the greenhouse, haven't done a week. And then you're up at six to go in to do your competition, which is high pressure, to mm. then do your banquet to then. And then I was so disappointed. We all went out. And I actually ended up in hospital um, that week after, just from a mix of just being stupid and been exhausted and disappointed. Just burnt out. Bur- just yeah. A- yeah. actual, I, I burnt out as a, and I was only 20. Um, and then one thing, and then I had, then there was, I was back in hospital a week after, whatever. So that was a nice, that was a good learning experience, although I wouldn't like anyone to be going through it. Mm. So then I did it in 2013 again, and I said, okay, I'm going to, I want I want to win this, but I need to do it in a different way. Yeah, and I need to balance, and I need to talk to Mick, who has been through my career the best mentor and very very understanding. And he we structured the build up to it where I could have a little bit more time to do the stuff. So I'm not going in with two hours sleep on the day. And then in year two, you know what's going to happen. You're more relaxed. And I just did it. It was in Google. We. I had outsourced with the guys in the greenhouse. To, they were all doing their jobs in the lead up. So the banquet for 200 was covered. Um, and Elena Arzak was over as the guest judge. And we, we won that. So that was, and I was 21. And that was a great feeling. Not so much because you've won something, but it's like, okay, I, I fucked it up. Um, yeah. yeah. I messed it up. And then now I can, I, I've learned something and I've, I've actually achieved it mm. having gone through that process as opposed to one off. Uh, and then how it went on then I finished up in the greenhouse in 2014 because it's a place that takes a lot of your energy Mm. and sometimes you need a break and I started doing pop-ups because I Mm. wanted to cook my own food and see how that goes not not any plants open restaurant or anything but I wanted to put myself out there Um, started doing pop-ups with Kieran Sweeney the culinary counter Mm -hmm. sold it through Twitter cash tickets building a little business and then that's the point where you're like you're worrying about is there a piss on the toilet seat? It's not all yeah. about the food. It's like, okay, we need to build a place that's yeah, going to be yeah. a party here. And uh, that was going well. And then the San Pellegrino came up mm. as a thing. I remember someone tweeted, um, I see this new competition at Mark Moriarty on Twitter. And I was like, oh God, no. <laughs> not again. No way. No more. <laughs> I've seen chestnut. enough of that. Yeah. And then yeah. as I thought it, I was like, well. World, you say? I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm, I need to sell tickets for this pop-up for the foreseeable future. It'd be like, good. It'd be easy to do if I had that. Yeah, yeah. And it was only that I had the photo of the dish from the Eurotox in 2013 on my laptop because that can be a big pain in the ass as you have to mm. go photograph. So I said, you know what? I'll just throw it in. And I mm. forgot about it. And then I get the email back. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and got shortlisted for the UK Ireland. Um, heat so it's 10 chefs from all around UK Ireland they had 20 different regions around the world went over to London had a great weekend brought my missus over 
Um, cooked the dish, didn't think much of it. Claire Smith was uh, one of the judges. Yeah. And ended up winning that. Mm. Um, and I forgot to put the pickles on. I'll never forget, I forgot to put the pickles <laughs> on the dish, but I still got away with it. Maybe so, it was better without. May, well, yeah. <laughs> well, I was just so nervous of going up to serve Claire Smith. Um, and we had a great party in London because the San Pellegrino Ireland team um, it was it was it was the UK competition, and yeah. then this guy came over from Dublin, and he's after winning. It was like, uh oh, yeah. We had a good party that night, uh, and then you went on to was I'd it say, Milan? You won the worlds in. I'd say there was no gloating whatsoever after that party. Oh no, well, the, yeah, Garrett Lynch is uh, of Stafford Lynch, who on San Pellegrino was a great, great character. Uh, Love him to this day, and yeah, it was it was singing on the the chairs of Duck and Waffle at four a.m. sort of stuff. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Um, nice. So yeah, we went to then I went to Milan, represent UK and Ireland, um, and I just went over with the attitude of look, this is going to be a once in a lifetime experience, so I'm not going to go crazy about it. I'm just going to try and enjoy it mm. until you actually get there, and then you're like, I want to win. Hang on a second, I want to win. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I remember Claire Smith coming over. She came the day after. I had done a lot. I'd learned from 2013. I'd prepped a lot of the stuff because we had to cook for 300 here and I'd brought it over. But Aer Lingus left the bag of ingredients on the tarmac in Dublin Airport. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God. So my clothes arrived, but my celeriacs didn't. <laughs> um, and that was the start of the week. And then Claire arrived the next day and we were prepping. And I mean, I still to this day, like the, the, the setup, it was... A, it was with Milan Fashion Week and Vogue were involved and it was like, a, it, wow. was, it was big league yeah. stuff. And we all had our own brand new Electrolux kitchen. Uh, and she came in and she said, right, Mark, I had been over to Hospital Road for a day beforehand to meet up a few weeks before. She said, right, this dish is good enough to win, so let's just make sure we win. <laughs> that was the, and I was like... Oh, was she like your mentor in the competition? She was the mentor in the competition. Oh, my God, right. And Royalty. She, I thought I was competitive. She was... So we had like Jean-Francois Piège was France. Yeah. And... Um, who were the other? There you were up against some amazing was, chefs with so, amazing mentors. So the mentors were getting competitive. Yeah. Because they were like, she was like, we're not losing to him. And, <laughs> yeah. not losing him. and I was like, oh, okay, chef. <laughs> and I was like, we had a commie and I'll never forget she was coming and I was like, you better have this kitchen clean before she rocks in. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and one thing led to another. We, we did the dish for the morning. So there was seven judges. They all had three Michelin stars. Um, wow. So 21 stars cook the dish you present you have your time and then they shortlisted the top three mm. so it was shortlisted it was you, me UK Ireland then it was Scandinavia um, a guy who went on to win Bacuse this year and then okay. it was Latin America so a Peruvian um, pastry chef and then you had to cook in the grand finale so now all of a sudden you're in this massive basically like an X Factor studio it was the X Factor production team <laughs> and you have to cook for the seven judges again and also for the 300 in the audience on stage. Incredible. Um, so what, you have to churn out 307 plates yeah, of and, this dish? Yeah, and we found out, I found out I was in the final at half four and we had to serve it at half seven. So oh. there's, there's where the planning, that's <laughs> oh where the planning comes God. in. So I had, I had actually done a partnership with Palace Foods before I went over yeah. and I used the Palace Foods team to prepare everything to the point where the celeriacs were marinated they were wrapped. All the garnishes were done. That was the suitcase. So that your, was me, in, your mise was done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, apart from Erlingus leaving it, and, <laughs> and it was a really hot day as well. And they were like, I never forget the lady going, uh, you know, you shouldn't put uh, fresh ingredients in the luggage. And I was like, yes, I know, but I need, I need it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that was done. That that saved a lot of pressure in in hindsight. And and then you just get up and you just put on a show and you you sell it. Um, and ends up, and you win ends up winning which was great the and Irish flag you went and travelled the world from that then basically cooking all over the world yeah that was um, I suppose 
there was there was a trophy and then it was kind of like it was the first year of the competition so they hadn't really taught past mm-hmm. the competition so I went to them and I said look um, I saw an opportunity I was like uh, as the world young chef of the year can we do something and they were like well tell us what you want to do and I was like well <laughs> where do we start <laughs> um, and we ended up doing yeah 12 months 12 cities 12 dinners um, and how we pitched it was the tw- the twenty finalists in Milan, you're there for a week, so you mm-hmm. end up like going out and eating and drinking, and you build up a bit of a relationship. And they're all chefs, so you know yeah. yourself here. Um, so I said, well, look, there's there's twelve twelve chefs there that I got on really well with. Why don't we do a partnership as part of the competition where I go cook in their restaurants? <laughs> they don't come here, but I go to them. <laughs> I get um, to see the world. I get to see the world. It's an exchange and, minus the actual functional exchange. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> And yeah, we did. We started in Melbourne and we went around the world and um, did 12 collaborations in... It was it was brilliant. Mm. Uh, I really miss it that now. That ridiculous. That everything from... Yeah. And they were, they, were, they were wild events because you need to PR them as well. So it was like we did a brewery in Johannesburg, a rooftop in Melbourne, did um, a car park in Moscow, a big old country house in Charleston... Um, I want to be at these events. Like, yeah. It's yeah. cool as the cool. Cool. And then like even... Yannick Eleno was one of the judges got to cook with him in his restaurant in in Paris um, like he couldn't like it was 23 like it's yeah. at the time you're just rolling with and you're like yeah there's Yannick Eleno what are you doing okay I'm doing this send it this is, like, this, is, this is like Charlie being thrown the keys of the chocolate factory yeah. just being like yeah it's in hindsight I really I know that but um, and you just you network you make loads of and it was great fun like the dinners were great but like the the stuff, the parties, and the the actual an amazing experience. Yeah, six days. We did one. I remember one. We went to Melbourne. We did a dinner there, the rooftop, and then up to Sydney, did dinner there. I like left here on a Thursday. I was back on the Wednesday. I left my laptop in Hungry Jack's in Melbourne Airport. I was so because we'd been in the Star <laughs> Casino till eight o'clock after the dinner. Um, Cape Town was another good one. Um, just a, again another once in a lifetime experience mm. that's amazing I was watching your speech on uh, Food the Edge Food on the Edge oh, yeah. in 2015 there this morning I think you spoke really well and it's an honest story of yourself and what you were thinking uh, I'm sure that experience alone must have been quite daunting well I suppose you're just at the traveling the world so that was actually okay just getting up on the stage there <laughs> and speaking and where, where, where was that year, year? that was Gal- that, that was the first one that was the first one in Galway yeah. Yeah. Uh, but one, one thing I thought that was really interesting is when you won the competition and you seen your name with the Irish flag above it and how it was a really proud and passionate moment for you and for Ireland and you mentioned like Ireland being you wanted it to be the next food destination uh, you wanted like you know to be a restaurant where Copenhagen Copenhagen has Noma and you said Melbourne has Attica uh, like you know is Greenhouse that destination restaurant now that Ireland has? Um, I wouldn't say it specifically. I think I think what we're doing here in Dublin is very similar to I lived in Melbourne and what they did down there, where it's the Melbourne food scene mm. as a package, and it's known that you go down there and if you go for a burger, it's going to be of a certain level. If you go for fine dining in Attica, it's going to be of a world class mm. level. I wouldn't say there's one specific restaurant doing it in Ireland, but I think Dublin as a whole. And outside of that, you're starting to see a lot of places pop up on the west coast of Ireland that are now becoming destination restaurants. And I think it's the it's the work of a lot of people over a lot of a long many years. Mm. I'd like to think I was a small part of the the chain um, that is selling destination Ireland. And now you're reading about the big international guides, the big international publishers, the newspapers are talking about everywhere that's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, even if you go back to, like, when I first went, when I was writing those letters, there were, like, 
six or seven Michelin star yeah, restaurants yeah. to write to. Mm. Now there's 21, 22 separate stars. So that's in the, so that's 12 years there. Um, and I think that's where we're not there yet, not nearly there yet. Um, and we don't know how this is going to affect it. But even from listening to your guys' podcasts and chatting before, like you're, the places you're talking about going to food trucks that are doing these amazing foods yeah. around Dublin. So mm. even that, all that movement is is really contributing to where, where Ireland is going. Um, and there will be, there will be a landmark restaurant. Someone will win three Michelin stars eventually. Mm. Um, we mm-hmm. don't know who. And that will be, I suppose a nice landmark moment because I certainly think there's places that are definitely deserving of it already. Definitely. I, w- I would agree with you. I definitely think that and I think if you we've talked about it a little bit with guests who've been on the podcast that it's only a matter of time because the whole food industry and food scene is pushing. Mm. Everyone is pushing and it's br- like a rising tide lifts all ships and that's really the, the thing that's kind of going on in my head with Irish food at the moment is that Everything is getting better all the time, and it's a it's a community effort, and it's people actually ratifying their own actions through a larger kind of picture of what's going on. Yeah, and I think that's it's amazing to be a part of at yeah. any tiny level. Yeah, I've heard Mark talk about uh, innovate instead of replicate, and I think that's like exactly where we're at at the moment. The innovation in Ireland in Irish cooking at the moment is brilliant, and like what's going on in greenhouse, like what's going on in plenty of places around the country. You're talking about not just Dublin, uh, this, the food scene in Galway. We're just talking about food in the edge in Galway, and uh, what what uh, JP's doing down there. It's incredible, along with uh, Jess and Kai, and there's like you know Galway's thriving. I was and in um, it's across all levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was in a place called um, Ardbea. Oh, yeah. Nemos. Uh, yeah. Nemos, absolutely yeah. insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Savage. Like I was there just last year when we were allowed to leave the county. I went down to Galway on a little trip and uh, I was actually just blown away. It was probably the nicest meal I had last year. Absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, just such and such a setting as well. Just through the Spanish arts, amazing little restaurant. You know, yeah. the, Galway's happening. There's loads of cities that are really doing well in Ireland. It's interesting what you say about that innovate piece though. Well, if you take us, for example, in the greenhouse, like even from when I from when it first opened it was it was really good and it was delicious food. And Mick will tell you this himself, but his food was like taking things from other places and one of his amazing skills is he's pretty much able to replicate it by tasting something somewhere else and coming back and making it himself, which yeah, is not yeah. no easy thing to do. Mm. But then in hindsight, the progression in the restaurant has come from, okay, being inspired by certain chefs and mm. certain ideas, certain photos on Instagram but then been able to make food where you look at it and you'll probably see something on Instagram without any context and you'll go, oh, that's a dish, that's mixed from the greenhouse. Yeah. Or yeah. That. And that's where I think you start to go from the Michelin one star, and Michelin for me still has a lot of say, but mm-hmm. one star is getting probably more casual. Yeah. And there's a bigger gulf now between the, the one star and two to three, which are getting closer together at the other end of the scale. And I think that the way you jump from one to two is making it your own mm. and taking recipes, but then creating something new with it. Yeah. So it becomes your style. And it's like it's like you look at an artist and you know that painting is a certain artist because yeah. of the style. That's when you start to go to two and then... I read an article recently because I don't know, but it, I thought it was very interesting where three is very much, you create the style, you make it perfect and then you just keep doing it. So every time someone goes, it's exactly the same for like five years and it's the consistency that then gets you three. Mm. Um, and while it's not relevant to a lot of people and I think we're doing the non-mission stuff as well as we are doing the mission stuff, from a from a restaurant chef point of view, it's getting to that, that having that three-star restaurant, that would be the real bang moment for yeah. uh, for the world on, on Irish food. 
We're available from everywhere you would normally get your podcasts. And of course, Headstuff Podcasts. We're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. And if you haven't already heard, Headstuff Plus is now live. Signing up for the Headstuff Plus community not only helps your favorite Irish creators do more of what they do best, but also gets you a heap of bonus content from every show on the network, regardless of which show you support. So you can just sign up for Headstuff Plus now by, uh, it's only a fiver. Buy me and Marcus a pint. There you go, half a pint each. We've said this. And that's supporting us, and we'll get some bonus content up there for you this week. Wonderful. Uh, the cross promo on the Headstuff Plus network this week is, what would you do if, what would you do if, is all about answering questions like, what would you do if a bear attacked you? To deeper stuff like, what would you do if your partner cheated on you? This is the trailer. This is What Would You Do If, the podcast to answer all of your What Would You Do If questions. It's Callum and Jess here, and every week we look at how we'd handle different situations. Before finding out what you should do if you're in them. So far we've looked at... What would you do if you saw someone stealing... A bear attacked you. The baby started choking. You were stuck in a lift. You can hear those episodes and loads more on headstuffpodcast.com with a new one every Monday. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we are sponsored by the wonderful Tato. Tato are an iconic Irish brand that love supporting Irish. So this brings us to the crispy bits. Mark, we want you to tell us what is exciting you in Ireland right now. Is there something you are working on, something special in the food industry, or anything at all that gets you excited at the moment? Uh, do you know what I'm loving is uh, Little Forest and Blackrock Pizza by Reggie. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky enough to live around the corner, and it's, it's quality. It's yeah. my... Little highlight uh, in the week where I pre-ordered on a Monday and I had it there last week and it was it was banging. I've heard it's savage. Like yeah. I've heard like nothing but I mean, is that a, is that any relation to first Ave, first uh, yeah. yeah, it's John and yeah. Sandy. It's their it is John and Sandy. Their Blackrock well. Outpost. Okay, it was I think what they it was supposed to be a restaurant with a wood fire, but um, with everything that's going on, they've just made a wood fire pizza out of it for the moment. Okay, where about, whereabouts is it in Blackrock? It's the Blackrock Street that no one goes down. So it's oh. you've got the main street and then you've got up by the library is this random one-way street. Okay. Um, and it's it's just there. It's actually, I can't wait for it to be a restaurant because mm. when you walk in to collect the pizza, they've done up the room and it's like this period home from the 1800s. Oh, yeah? And it's got the high ceilings with all the little, those things in the corner mm. of the, the yeah, yeah. that look beautiful. And it's, old stone walls that they knocked out and have refurbished it's it's absolutely amazing it's like being in a little Italian trattoria yeah. and, and imagine the pizza is fantastic Reggie is behind pie yeah. he started off with pie and that's you know commonly known as possibly the number one pizza in, yeah. in the city I'd say and then I know is the pizza chef in Little Forest as well is Shane Windrum who was with him in pie as well yeah. so you know you're, you're setting the standard there and are they going for a slightly more I suppose chefy pizza no, it's very similar to pie. There's a few bits out there that, um, like, the different types of cheeses and stuff that he's always used. But it's um, it's just, it's beautiful. And I was chatting to him, like, they're in there because they've done the slot. So they literally stand there for seven hours a day in front of that just going, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> so, but I like the, it's not like you just order whenever you want. And some people go, oh, that's so annoying. Like, I want but it's actually to preserve the quality because yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. I need 12 minutes to do it properly and I need it to, it has to be eaten pretty quickly. Yeah, your pizza's coming out piping every time. So that's why you have, you're either there at 7.45 or 8 or 8.15. Mm -hmm. So he's able to maintain the quality. It's not like, okay, he has to do 100 mm -hmm. pizzas in half an hour and yeah. it just doesn't work. I think pizza is one thing that is, you know, it's amazing when it's hot, but like, you know, it does, it, the, the flavor actually just kills so much know, when like it gets a, a little bit cold. A cold Domino's the mm. next morning. 
Oh. Oh, Domino's now. I'm not a Domino's fan at all. Oh. Jesus, no. But even when, I, <laughs> even when sometimes if I get a delivery pizza and it comes and it's not piping, I'll just whack the oven on really high and just yeah. put it back in for like, you know, a minute yeah. or two. And then it comes back out and it's like, sometimes it's even better. You know, it's just that little bit This of you're better off eating in the car. Yeah. Once yeah. You yeah. Drive, instead yeah. of bringing it home. I'm definitely not comparing uh, Domino's to Lil Forest. But <laughs> just in case anyone is listening on Marcus, we trusted your culinary <laughs> You're hell, ruined, bro. Marcus. You're ruined on What the hell, bro? Black Rock is such a cool little village as well. I love going to Black Rock market mm-hmm. uh, like just just so much there's so many cool food things in there as well uh, you have the Korean burrito yeah. uh, Bread 41 are doing a pop up there now as well yeah. 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 Leah um, obviously there's a go- yeah, Leah of course because it used to be dead when I was younger mm-hmm. it was like a dead town mm-hmm. it was just mm-hmm. bypassed and there was a few characters hanging around yeah. now actually since with the lockdown everyone's working from home they've pedestrianised a lot of the street and it's it's like the place mm. to be at the weekend. I love the way you say Bustling. a few characters hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these men? Who are these guys? <laughs> some famous people. The from market Rock. has some great characters through the years. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, that's... Uh, so, Crispy Bits, you are excited about Little Forest. Uh, obviously, Crispy Bits is our little section dedicated to Tato and celebrating Irish food heroes. Um, yeah, just eat some Tato. Live yeah. your life. Have a good time. Eat some Tato. Your life will be better if you eat Tato. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Tell us something. Um, we're kind of as we come to the end. There's a couple of questions we'd like to ask um, before we ask the final one. What are your favourite restaurants to visit in Ireland at the tail end of all of this? When things reopen, when the days are longer, when the sun is shining, the seagulls are screaming in the sky. Where are you buzzed to eat? How long have you got? I would go. <laughs> I give you a list. Sunday lunch and locks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Any day. Well, if say any day of the week. No, specifically Sunday. <laughs> Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Early table as well, so yeah. you can lounge it out. Um, Fisk and Downings in County Donegal. Okay. We've been okay. filming up there twice, and now, um, um, what's his name? Tony. Sorry, Tony. God, he'll kill me. Tony Davison is the chef there. He used to work in. Uh, or his his wife used to work in Ox. She does the front of house, and he's pretty much self trained. Shack overlooking the beach, connected to the Harbour Bar pub, which do some of the best points in Ireland. Uh, on a nice day, you're selling it to me. Yeah, after, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after filming beyond the menu, we spent a good few hours in there. Uh, great little spot. And whereabouts in Donegal? Downings. Downings. It's right up the north. Um, you're out of the way there. That'll be on my hit list this year. Is there a convenient guest house nearby? Because I, I yeah, think yeah. I'll find out what I'm going to book this afternoon. <laughs> there are many. There are many. It's a great spot. Um, Jeez, it sounds like the perfect summer getaway, doesn't it? That really does. Hit up here like, on Sweeney, X, Forest Marcy. He'll give yeah. you the, the local tour Definitely. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then, where else? They'd be my two. And then I used to, uh, Mondays in Edo were my day off. I'd love to know lunch in Edo. I've probably seen you there a few times. Well, I'd say many times. <laughs> at one point, I basically had my own seat at the end of the bar in Edo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're my go-tos. Can't wait oh, to get back. Man. That's actually, that's a wonderful, wonderful little selection. Yeah. That, uh, do you know what? Like, a lot of people have given us, not obvious answers, but like, I think you both saw a reaction when you described that place in Donegal yeah. just there. Like we both just got like, oh. you're just picturing yourself there, you know, because we haven't we haven't been out of the county in how long now? Oh, and like, like I said, I got got down to Galway and Cork and Kerry last summer, but like, and it was an amazing time. I had such fun down there. But now I'm like, yeah, I want to go to Donegal. I want to go yeah. to. I want to get more of the Wild Atlantic Way on board. And it's, uh, I always know when I can remember a dish. He gave us a dish last year, and it was just like a little piece of grilled brill with uh, it was like a crayfish and pickled celeriac cubed butter um, I think it was on some buttered cabbage or something on a lovely little plate great value and I was like oh my god this is class mm. and then your man comes next door from the harbour bar and he lands the point of Guinness down and <laughs> you're, like, you're like no 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 this is this is it for me and I think oh. when the sun is shining in the summer there's nowhere more beautiful in the country than Donegal yeah. Yeah. no absolutely not like it is it's otherworldly mm. 
Do you know, I think when a lot of people, especially like we're all from Dublin, mm. um, like when, when a lot of people for, who are from outside Ireland picture Ireland, that's what their picture <laughs> is. It's Kerry and it's Donegal. Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. in my head, and that or Connemara. And our, um, our local pub, where my dad's from Ventry, we literally work three doors down, and Quinn's is the pub. And it's it's been just a place where you'd be drinking. But in the last few years, they brought in this um, this local this French chef, um, Michel is his name, and you have like the the out the front overlooking the beach and the harbour and the pier, and we'd be coming in from the fishing, and you go up to Quinn's for your pint. But now you've got a menu of like turbot flambe and all these classic, <laughs> classic French dishes French. Oh. and it's just like this, oh. as a chef this is it as well you're like oh my god you're coming in with a, with a brace of Pollock yeah, yeah. and just uh, yeah a brace of Pollock and we you're sell just... it to Michelle and then sit down and he cooks it that's the sort oh of my god, so there Quinn's yeah. and Fisk are the two you need to go to this summer Quinn's and Fisk okay well there we listen, go. for anybody listening to this I think we've just mapped out your summer plans <laughs> and okay final question final question um this is a something we call the devil's dessert. Um, this all started when one night Chris and I were having a little drink in antisocial and we were talking about uh, our, our kind of death row meals. And Chris just goes, Marcus, you need to say the devil's dessert. Like, just really dramatically. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's turned into this thing that like, basically if, if, if the devil showed up on your doorstep and said, Mark, you've got one meal left. What is it? <laughs> I don't know. He's very yeah. succinct in his questioning. Yeah, this is like, uh, pretty much deep. exactly how I asked Mark. I yeah. said, we have to say it exactly like this. <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, what what's your what would be your death row meal? What's your what's your devil's dessert? Your it can be as many courses in as many places, and mm. then where would you have it? Yeah. That's been a big thing the last few weeks. It's been people are people aren't even so touched on the food. Well, so well the food is important, but it's you know where they are. Yeah. I think is a big thing as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, go to Paris. Yeah. I think you know what's coming. I, I know. I, do you know what? Say no more. Sit down, order a bottle of Merso, which is incredibly cheap on their wine list. Uh, I would have the asparagus with chopped egg and French vinaigrette. I would have the ribeye bernays and skinny fries and then the absolutely massive lump of creme caramel in Le Bistro Paul Bear. Bistro, Bistro Paul, Paul Bear. Bear. Oh my God. You're <laughs> almost tearing up. We've talked about this God. extensively. Have you been to Bistro no, Paul I Bear? Have not. Do you know no. what, Chris? After this, I'm bringing, so jealous. I'm, no, I'm bringing you to the Bistro Pub Bear. I'm, we're going on our first official That's Banging trip. I'm calling it here to Paris, and we're going to Bistro Pub Bear. I'm in. It's the only time uh, Marcus talks to me on Instagram is when I have photos of Bistro <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this guy. Did you, did you have a Bistro Pub Bear plate in your house recently or something? No, I did. I did the creme caramel, and I, t- I robbed a photo of Google of the, what it was inspired by. Yeah, if, so just like Bistro Pub Bear, if you are in any way interested in French food, it is unequivocally the the daddy. It's yeah. the that's it's perfect. Everything. Actually, the final episode of Cook In is pretty much my favorite hits from Bistro Paul Bear. Really, which is coming up on RT this summer. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a that's <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the um the steak au poivre, just uh, the the floating island. Every you know, funnily enough, like the last time I was in Paris was a uh, was to bury my grandmother, and all the restaurants were closed. But I had made this like mental roadmap in my mind to go to Bistro Paul Bear and have a floating island because it's something that she used to make yeah mm. class. and I still have that yeah. and we were talking at the start of the episode the restaurants are so much more than the place to eat mm. and I think that brings it right back that you know once we once it comes back to the end of this this is the this is what you do Mark yeah. this is what all our guests have done they're facilitators not just for food but for life brilliant amazing there you go there you go um, I just got a message of Mr. Tato Marcus 
Oh, did you? I did indeed. Uh, Mr. Tato is our lovely sponsor, and Mr. Tato just launched Cheesatees. Cheesatees? Cheesatees. So tell me. Tell me. So you know chickatees, yeah. which are the beautiful corn snack chicken flavor. How think 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 cheesy cheesy chickatees cheesatees. Okay, I'm they've just been launched this week, and they are out now. Okay. I'm here for it. Um, we're we're Mr. We, Mr. Tato, uh, you are a barrel of creation. Mr. Tato, like I love it. Like I just got a message off Mr. Tato while we're recording, and uh, I promise you that next week on the podcast we are going to try some cheesy teas okay. live. I'm down for that. Well, I'm down. For, I can't wait. Chicken teas are like an iconic crisp in Ireland. So, do you know what? I'm actually now imagining uh, Mr. Tato making a reservation in Bistro Paul Bear and being like <laughs> wa- walking in the Metro D, just being like, Ah, bonsoir, Monsieur Patat. <laughs> That's all I can imagine. <laughs> and you know what? He's coming on the Dots Banging trip too. And Mark, you're more than welcome. What a team. It's Marcus, Mark, and Mr. Potato. Mr. Potato. What a Mr. team. Mr. Potato go to for Paris. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah, we'll check. Thanks to Tato for being <laughs> Thanks to Tato for being the amazing sponsor that they are. And uh, make sure you check out the cheese tea is in stores now. Uh, Mark, thank you very much. That's been amazing. We've uh, we thank you for coming on. Tell us what's going on in your future now. So we're looking out for um, we're looking out for Cook In. When is that out? Cook In is out um, in April. Then we've got Beyond the Menu probably September. So long as we can get it filmed in the summer. Um, and then. Yeah, greenhouse. Hopefully, coming back. All that. Get back mm. to the the grind. And I have a tree in Giro voucher for greenhouse. I'm like, oh come on, open up. <laughs> <laughs> you could be like Mar- last Marcus in. All you can hear in the room is, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that most restaurants. Oh yeah. It's like, honestly, like just put a screen around the two of us. If, uh, um, if people want to find you on Instagram, where can they find you? Uh, at Mark Moriarty one on Instagram, and uh, yeah, there's plenty of I've been doing. Step by step, there's loads of recipes up there, and hopefully some uh, some nice inspiration. Mark Moriarty is Pollican, and where that's banging. <laughs> <laughs> this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.